You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And then we're going to turn to 1 Samuel 13. You may have to write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 3 to 5. And then you can bookmark that. And then we'll go to 1 Samuel 13. So if you've got your Bibles ready, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can use your smartphone. Just go to Google. And Google 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. It will actually pop it up for you. And just click on that. Because I want you to get this word. I want you to take some notes. Because I want you to meditate on the word of God. Let's read together. Follow with me in your version of the Bible. I'm reading from the NIV. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Paul writes to the Corinthians. For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish. We demolish arguments. We demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. To make it obedient to Christ. Once you turn with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'll give you a second to go there. 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to read two passages there. Verses 5 to 7 to start with. I'll tie all this together in a moment. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Reading verses 5 to 7. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots. 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, listen to what they did. They hid in caves. They hid in thickets. They hid among the rocks. They hid in pits. They hid in cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. In other words, they joined the Philistines. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. Move forward to verse 19 now. Same chapter. 1 Samuel 13 verse 19 to 22. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Because the Philistines had said otherwise, the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, their mattocks, their axes, and their sickles sharpened. The price was expensive. It was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of battle, 
Not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had weapons. Father, I pray that you would unpack the word, that we would understand these things. The weapons of our enemies and the weapons that we possess. I pray, Father God, in this battle for the mind, that your church will be triumphant. That they will become more than overcomers the way they were designed to. I pray that you would smash every thinking. I pray you will smash every thought. I pray you will smash every pretension and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That your people, your sons and daughters would be triumphant where they are. That no giant would ever wag his finger at them. But that every giant would cower at them. I speak to the giant killers and I call them forth now in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Thank you so much, Giuseppe. You feel that God's going to do something great today, don't you? Uh, here's the thing. There's a war that's on for your mind. And if you're taking notes, you're wondering what the title of the message is, Smashing Strongholds. Smashing Strongholds. Here's a story of a people, the people of Israel. They were coming into battle against the Philistines, their mortal enemies. And they had been on the run for a long time. And God had anointed one person that called out for a king against what God really wanted. But he gave them what they wanted. He gave them a king. And Saul was the appointed one, the man for the hour. And think about this. This is a people that has been subjugated for so long that they didn't have a single weapon to fight with. You know, sometimes when we're in our situations, it feels like that. It feels that the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you don't have a weapon to fight with. In fact, you don't even know who to buy weapons from. And we're not talking about real stuff, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I'd like to kill my boss right now. We're not talking about that brother. We're not talking about that sister. We're just talking metaphorically, spiritually speaking, okay? Just in case we get, <laughs> make sure we're on the right page. We're talking about metaphors here, spiritual things, spiritual weapons. But the fact is, I know that you're struggling, and I know that many of you don't even know how to get the weapons to do the spiritual warfare because you're on your faces and you're writing them on Facebook so we can all read it. Thank you so much for pouring your heart out. Now we know where you're at. See, Facebook for me is pastoral care. I'll just take a few minutes every day. I'll just go through and scroll through. And sometimes I like the page. Sometimes illustrations are a bit wonky. Like, eh, let's see if I can like that one. I'll let that one go. Go to the next one. But there's always going to be that person in church. Oh, woe is me. The world is just so bad. I'm the only one going through all kinds of trials and tribulations. Everyone else is having a great time and a successful. I'm the only one. You ever feel like that? I don't want to belittle that. If that's you, just be quietly and maybe just rib uh, your wife or your husband and say he's talking to you. <laughs> we go through these times and we go through these cycles and these seasons. And sometimes the situation itself is so bad that it feels I cannot overcome this. Here we see a picture where literally the people of Israel did not have a single weapon. The only two weapons that existed were for Saul and his son Jonathan. Only two weapons for an entire army. 
And can you imagine what it's like for these guys? They're facing, according to the word of God, they couldn't count the number of Philistines that were fighting against them. They could count the chariots. They could count some of the officers maybe. But they could not put a number to the amount of soldiers that were coming against them. Now they had, listen, I mean, David talks about this when he's fighting Goliath. You come against me with sword, sorry, with, with javelin, with spear, with sword. All I got is the word. And that is more than enough to take you down. But they literally did not have any weapons. And they're facing an army that is so insurmountable. The odds are against them. It is actually impossible for them to overcome an, an, this army simply based on numbers alone. And I want you to understand that this actual literal example is also a metaphor for the battle that you fight in your mind. You see, this battle began in the Garden of Eden. We're not even aware of it. You see, back in the Garden of Eden, it was actually heaven on earth. The Bible tells us one day, this earth will all pass away. All of it, all the sorrows, all the sickness, all the death, gone. And one day, this is after the millennium reign of Christ. Some of you are like, what on earth is he talking about? Just go with me for a moment. Ask me later, okay? But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. See, a lot of times we think when we die, we'll go to be with Jesus and we'll live in heaven forever. No, no. It's just a momentary until God actually gives us a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to do it all over again and go back to plan A. Plan A was always that we live on earth. But the difference is God himself will live with us. It's always been plan A, that God is with you. He's always wanted it, but we feared God. The Bible tells us that the people of Israel, when God was ready to make a covenant promise with them, he's saying, I'm going to lay myself down and I want to have a covenant relationship with you. This is one of those marriage covenants till death do us part. He's saying, I will always be your God. As long as you live, as long as you breathe, I will always be for you, not against you. If you worship me, if you follow the things that I've given you, my precepts, my commandments, it will go well with you. And so he wants to do these things. But the Bible says what they saw, they were called up to go to the bottom of a mountain. They saw billowing and smoke and explosions from the mountain. They thought that it was an eruption, a volcanic eruption. And they're freaking out. Every time it thundered, it was actually God speaking. But they were so scared that she said, Moses, you do the talking for us. We can't approach that God. We can't see him. We don't want to see him. We don't want to hear him. You do it instead. But God's plan has always been to reveal himself to you. And so this war began in the Garden of Eden. Mankind had always walked with God. In fact, the spiritual realm and the natural realm were actually intertwined. They were one. They were never separated. So they were able to step. I mean, think about it. A snake comes and talks to them, and they weren't freaked out by it. Some of you are thinking small snakes, but I'm starting to think now it was, the Bible says, a serpent. It was probably more like a dragon. It was huge. Talking to them, and they had no fear, and they had no issues with an, with an, in, uh, with an animal or, or, or a reptile talking to them. Because so intertwined was heaven and earth. And this is the way that God created it to be. And you are so special in the way that you're created. Crazier and more different than any other creature on this planet. You not only interact with the natural realm. God gave you a spirit so that you can interact with the spirit realm. So that we can call heaven on earth. So we are the agents now to bring heaven on earth. Because ever since sin came in the world, it was separated. So God needs us to be able to bring the two together. 
That's the reason why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom, dominion come. That's the word kingdom, right? Your will be done. What is the will? On earth as in heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? No. That's why we can pray for people on earth who are sick. Is there poverty in heaven? No. So what we're telling, when you start to think about that, you start to realize, oh, okay. So we were not supposed to have poverty. No. We're not supposed to have homeless people on the streets. No. You are not supposed to have that broken marriage. No. That wasn't God's plan. You are not supposed to suffer. You are not supposed to lose those children in childbirth. You are not supposed to miscarry. That was never God's will. With Him, it's multiplication. With Him, it's always increase. With Him, it's always peace. With Him, it's always hope. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is not about eating or drinking, but of love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So that's the kingdom. Love, joy, and peace. So if you have no peace, I'm telling you the kingdom is not with you right now. If you have no love, if you hate your brother, if you are carrying an offense for someone, you are not in the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is not in you because the Holy Spirit will bring that love and peace. And here's the other one. If there is no joy in your soul, all you can think about is that every day is just an existence. I wake up, I go to work, I come home, and I go to sleep. I wake up, I go to work. If that is the only existence you have, you have no hope. Just tap the person next to you and say, Pastor's talking to you today. See, we hear these words and we're thinking, preach it, pastor. The neighbor needs to hear that. Preach it. My husband needs this. He's thinking the same thing about you. We need this word. Love, joy, peace. So the enemy's role is to destroy your love, your joy, your peace. See, in, in the beginning of time at the Garden of Eden, they never had a single worry. I don't think you understand how incredible the Garden of Eden was. Never a worry. Never a concern. Adam never had to fear that Eve, his wife, would cheat on him. He never had to worry about adultery. They never had to even have think about what, what sickness was. It didn't exist with them. There was no vocabulary for the word sickness. It didn't exist. They couldn't even understand evil. That's why when they, when they sinned, the devil goaded them into eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, until they ate from the fruit, they didn't know the difference between good and evil. All they knew was good. Everything was just good. That's just their existence. Everything's good. Every day is good. Every day is filled with hope. We never have to die. Think about this, particularly those of you that are older like me, you're getting old, and you know, you're thinking back in the glory days when you were young, you were beautiful, or for the gentleman, handsome, in the prime of your life. Some of these young ones have no idea what I'm talking about. They said, we're always going to be like this. We're always going to look young. I've got news for you. It changes. It changes. You know, remember when you used to jump out of bed with no pain and now you're like, oh, you feel like an old person. You sound like your mom. You sound like your dad. You do and you are. We got to that stage when we start saying things like, do you remember what I remember back in my, oh my goodness, I sound like my dad. I sound like my mom. Back in my day, they never had to experience that. Everything was perfect. And so when sin came into the world, that is when everything changed. It started with just a bite. 
But it was more than just a bite. It was symbolic of something far deeper, far greater, because for the first time, man no longer had harmony between heaven and earth. There was a separation. And Jesus, the Bible says in the New Testament, came to seek and save that which was lost. Not just people, but of relationship with the Father, of relationship between heaven and earth. We are the agents of heaven and earth. We bring them together so that the people around us can experience the same thing that was originally intended for Adam and Eve. If you think about it that way, you start to understand, okay, if there is an enemy that is out to get you, The Bible says there is an enemy that comes on. He's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. See, a lot of times I know we can blame the devil for stuff that's not his fault. It's your fault. You did it. The devil devil can't make you do anything you don't want to do. Okay? But he is looking for ways to take you down. He's looking for ways to tempt you. He's looking for ways to discourage you. He's looking for ways to cause you anxiety and for worry. Because he says this, did God really say... Did God really say you'll have love? Did God really say you'll have joy? Did God really say you'll have peace? Well, yes, he did. But his whole job is to try and hijack your knowledge of who God is. That's what it says in the first passage we read. The weapons, so we, there's a war that's on. And we are given weapons to fight with. But a lot of us don't know we have these weapons. What are the weapons for? They have power to demolish strongholds. They have power to demolish the strongholds of arguments and pretension. That's a big word. What does the word pretension mean? I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. It, it's, it's spelled P-R-A-E-T-E-N-C-E, the old English. But basically, it comes from the same word as the word pretend. Okay, a pretense is basically pretending, a statement or an ideology that pretends. It's an attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. So here's the thing. In reality, Israel was looking at an army that was insurmountable. That actually was the truth in the natural realm. But remember, we don't live in just a natural realm. There is a supernatural realm that supersedes our realm. It's more real than this. You see, the spirit realm existed first because God is spirit, right? He existed and he spoke the world into being. The natural realm is servant to the spirit realm. That's why Jesus could walk on water. That's why I could raise people from the dead because the natural law says you can't do that. But the supernatural is more powerful than the natural realm. See, we're not stepping into these things because we're so focused on the natural realm. What I'm doing today is giving you the wake-up call to remember that there is a God that's bigger than your problem. That there is a God taller and greater than your Goliath. Don't be overcome by the situation, but understand that he is greater than any situation that you can be in. Understand that he would never allow you to be in a situation that he did not put you into in the first place. To strengthen you. He's made a way out for you before he puts you in the situation. Because some of you are thinking, no one understands what I'm going through. It's deeper and bigger. Oh, if you understood what I went through, let me tell you, everyone else is thinking the same thing. God knows the metal. He knows your worth. He knows how powerful you are. The Bible says he has made you more than overcomers. 
Before you enter the battle, he made you win. <laughs> Do you understand this? You can't lose. No matter what battle you're in, no matter what hardship you're in, God designed you before you enter that situation to succeed. You already have won. He sees the, the future from the beginning. He already knows the end from the beginning. He knows you won. And that's why he allowed you in the situation. Because when you step away from it, you've got a story to tell. You've heard this before. There is no testimony without a test. There is no victory without a battle. You have to have these moments before you have your story. It's his story being worked out in your life that becomes history. Amen. So Adam and Eve knew God intimately and sin broke that connection. So the devil's one primary purpose is to try to disrupt your relationship. He does it in two ways. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. He will distort what you know about God's identity. See, the moment you start to question who he really is, you are actually in a stronghold. You are locked up. Think about this. When things go bad in your life, when we begin to question God's goodness, there's a stronghold in your life. When God doesn't answer your prayer, there's a stronghold in your life. You're thinking he's not, he's not wanting to do it. He doesn't love me. There's something wrong here. If we question his compassion, that's what usually happens. Oh God, don't you know the situation I'm in? I'm struggling here. He knows. The Bible says God is a compassionate God, merciful God, a loving God. But see, in the situation, it can become a stronghold if we are feeding ourselves in a vacuum without the word of God to straighten it out and tell us, no, that is not who God is. He is a compassionate God. The Bible says he doesn't work on our timetable. He works on his own timetable. God, grant me patience. And so he takes longer because he wants to develop patience. He has his own perfect timetable. If you believe the lie that the enemy gives you, you empower the liar. See, the enemy, we call him Satan. That's actually Hebrew for adversary, the guy that works against you. His, he doesn't actually have power over you. When you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness... When you accepted Jesus and asked for forgiveness for your sins, you were transported out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. The enemy doesn't own you, but he tries to make it as if he owns you. He sits on top of you, says, I own you. I own your thought process. Do you remember what you did last summer? I did. I do. So let me just remind you, bring it back to remembrance. Do you remember the botched relationship that you had previously? Well, I remember. I'm going to remind you again. Do you remember that lie you told? I'm going to remind you again. That temptation, that weakness that you have, I'm going to bring it in front of you again. I'm going to draw your attention. But he can't make you do anything. Do you understand how disempowered he is when you realize who he is? Every situation that you're in that is difficult, and if the enemy's involved in it, because sometimes we do it, if the enemy is involved in it, he had to first go cap in hand before the presence of God and ask him permission to do it. 
How do I know that? It happened in the book of Job. God actually says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, how about in the New Testament where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've been praying for you. Jesus is your, he is, your, he is your friend. He is praying for you. He's your intercessor. He does not want that to happen to you. And he says, and when you come back, not if, and when you come back, you are going to strengthen your brothers. You are going to strengthen others. You see, if you believe the lie, it causes a seed of doubt that will circumvent God's goodness in your life. See, the moment you begin to doubt, faith begins to wane. Because the disciples came to Jesus and they saw the miracles he did. And they asked him, Jesus, increase our faith. Show us what to do. But he didn't answer them the way he, they, they thought that he'd do it. He didn't say, just pray a thousand, you know, our Father who art in heaven, pray a thousand of those, do 50 push-ups, and you will have faith. Instead, he answered them in a different way. He says, this is in Pardidi's way, it's not about how much faith you have. That's what you're asking for. It's not about how much faith you have. Even if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, you can speak to that mountain and say, mountain, get up and be thrown into the sea if you do not doubt in your heart. So if the enemy can cause you to have a seed of doubt, it will be enough to actually negate any faith that you will have for miracles. I'm speaking to someone today. Number two, the work of the enemy is to distort your identity. How you perceive yourself as opposed to how God sees you. Bill Johnson once made the statement, I cannot afford to have a single thought about myself that he doesn't have about me. What it means is this. We are our own worst critic of ourselves. We say to ourselves, you're not good enough. You will never amount to anything. We don't actually say it like that. We say, oh, I can't do that. That's the language we use. But basically, you're saying to yourself, I can never amount to anything. Nothing I do will matter. I cannot change a single thing in my life. I'm a victim of my past. These are the kinds of things that we say. I can't help it. It was done to me. She left me. He left me. My father destroyed me. He abused me. So we've got all these things. And it's not to belittle the pain. I understand that. I totally do. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you don't have to be a victim of your circumstance. If you're wondering, have you got strongholds in your life? Here are some of the telltale signs. It's when you are worrying. What are you worrying about? It's when you are constantly seeking the approval of others. You've got a stronghold in your life. When you are struggling with idolatry, most of the time you don't even know it. I'll tell you how you know it. It's when you love other things, and it may be precious, like your wife, your children, your career, your family, as much as you love God. That's idolatry. Jesus said, Unless you hate your wife, unless you hate your father and mother, unless you hate your children, you cannot be my disciple. 
It's not, he's not inciting hatred. He's saying, if it ever comes to the crunch, I know you love your wife. You should. I, in fact, I commanded husbands love your wives. But if it comes to a point where you have to decide between me and them, he says, your love for them should almost be like hatred compared to your love for me. That's what he's actually trying to say. Idolatry is when you love things as much as or more than God. Think about the decisions that we make. I know you're the exception to the rule. You're here. But as Christians across the churches in the Western world, you'll find that today the trend is that people are going to church less and less often. But they will declare, this is my church. I might see them once every six weeks. This is my church. I love this church. But we barely see them. But when you talk to them, they'll tell you things like this. Oh, I had my family come over. Oh, we just needed a weekend off to go away. I get it. I totally get it. I live a busy life. And that's great too. But there are times when you just have to make God the absolute priority above everything else. Amen. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. How about the stronghold? Fear. What is it that you fear the most? The Bible says perfect love cast out fear what do you fear you fear that you might get fired from your workplace you fear that you're not doing a good enough job you fear that you may lose your partner because you're not doing enough in your marriage to make it work you fear that your kids are going to go away don't fear just love love how about this stronghold guilt Something that you've done in the past. And although you know that Jesus has forgiven you, that, built, that guilt condemns you. You think about it and you meditate on it and you can't seem to get rid of this thing. Oh, people only knew what I've done in my past. Hey, buddy, we've all done evil things. All of it's evil, no matter how little. It's wickedness to God. Another stronghold is resentment. You resent that person. You resent your ex. You resent your neighbor. How about this stronghold? Insecurities. Oh, I don't know if God's really called me to do that, Pastor. I can't do that. I mean, the usual thing I hear is, oh, let me pray about it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I sometimes said, how do you pray? How do you know when God you know, answers your prayer? Oh, actually, Pastor, I was trying to say a nice way. Christianese to say no. <laughs> I'll pray about it. Insecurities. This is the one that we often struggle with. You think you're not good enough. Sometimes it's not idolatry the reason people aren't in church. They, they actually don't feel like they're good enough. They have the sin cycle that they're in and they, they did it again. Oops, I did it again. You know the song. And now they don't feel holy enough to be in church. Can I tell you, nothing you can do will ever make you holy. Some of you, it hasn't struck. You may be too young to have sinned. I'm so sorry. The older ones, we've, we've all done our sin. God says, my righteousness covers all your sins as if you never sinned. Don't you let that devil get you down and remind you of your past. If he reminds you of your past, you remind him of the future. <laughs> it doesn't end well for him. For some, it's just unworthiness. Satan will try to distort the goodness of God. He will try to distort the plans that he has for your life. 
He will try to distort the love that God has for you. He will plant lies. He will plant misconceptions. He will plant falsehood. He will plant perversions of what is good and pure to try to destroy your relationship with him. You don't have to earn his love. You already have it. You're his favorite. He is good. His timing is perfect. He works all things for your good. To them that love him and are called according to his purpose. All things for good. You see, the enemy wages war on your mind to keep you trapped in your human condition. He will keep you trapped in your dysfunction. And as long as you try and hide it, as long as you try and cover it up, as long as you're lying about it and deceiving others about it, you feel like you're getting away, but you know you're actually trapped. This is a series this year. It's about freedom, releasing you from the things that keep you bound. He will keep you trapped in a stronghold of poverty. He will keep you trapped in a stronghold of brokenness. He will keep you trapped in dysfunction that you're not even aware of because you won't be honest enough with yourself. And the worst part is he will perpetuate the same dysfunction you have on the people that you influence. Moms and dads, that dysfunction you have in your life, that sin that you haven't dealt with, your children are inheriting it from you. Until you deal with it, until you present it and take it to the light and God begins to destroy it. Then and only then will you have the victory. The Philistines removed everything from the Israelites so that they had no reminder of any way that they could fight back. The priests were silent. The prophets were silent. In the time of David, in the time of Saul, no one spoke out. Not a single prophet. Did you notice that? Not one prophet. The first person to break out of that routine was Jonathan. The second person to break out of that routine was David, who later became king. You see, David understood this, that God is greater than any circumstance. God is greater than any situation. The rest of Israel had an incomplete picture of who God is. God is our deliverer. He is mighty to save. God is our rock. God is our stronghold in times of trouble. God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide for those who don't have. God is Je Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals you when you're sick. God is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, your banner. In times when trouble comes in, his, he'll raise a banner, a standard where angels are coming to your aid. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. When you have no peace... He is Jehovah Ra, the Lord my way, my shepherd, when you've lost your way. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, when you are feeling unrighteous. He is Jehovah Shama, the Lord is light ever present, when you feel you're in your dark place alone. The mindset or the stronghold of fear became Israel's norm. Every man in Israel feared the enemy, and they learned to accept that fear because everyone else feared, so it was normal. 
It was normalized. What should not have been normal. The Bible says God made the people of Israel the head, not the tail. Victorious in battle. Right? They will put one person puts a thousand to flight, two puts ten thousand to flight. That was what they were called for, but they had forgotten and they normalized fear. You see, the human mind has a way of learning to cope with dysfunction and normalizing it. When I went to Indonesia recently, I went to the, my home where I grew up. It was a parsonage. It was part of this big church building, this complex. And our living room was right next door. You can open the curtains and there's the church. You can poke your finger. You're in church. I'm out of church. In church, out of church. I played that game as a kid. And they renovated my old bedroom and my parents' old bedroom, and they put an ensuite. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Until you saw what the ensuite was like. Even though they had this Western idea of an ensuite, they used the typical villager idea, and the toilet was like squat pots. It was dirty. It was wet. It was filthy. It stunk of, I'm trying to give you a picture, but, but not being too gross, but I'm going to have to. It just stunk of, of bathroom smells. How's that? Okay? In your bedroom. It leaked into the bedroom, but they didn't notice it. But I did because I come from a different environment. I come from a different paradigm. I'm not in that stronghold. So when I came on step foot, I smelled the, the, the smell the moment I came in the bedroom. My old bedroom stunk like a toilet because it's attached to a toilet now. And they couldn't tell because they were so used to it. And we have normalized and we have accepted many things in our life that wasn't meant to be there. God has a better plan for your life than what you are capable of seeing for yourself. That's what this message is all about. Why don't we stand to our feet as I begin to finish now. The Bible tells us of one of the greatest heroes of Israel, David. David was a shepherd boy. He was neglected by his own family. Then when it, came, when it came time to anointing one of the sons of Jesse as king, seven sons were brought out, all the sons except for David. David had to tend the sheep. We know that a servant could have done that because a servant was sent out to go get David. But David was less than a servant, less than a son in that house. But while all the men of Israel were fearing... David was spending time in the presence of God, singing and writing songs of worship and hearing downloads of conversations in heaven. Jesus spoke about him that he was a prophet. How else did he say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He says, if he was the king, why is he calling someone else Lord? That was a prophet. And when it came time for battle, it is interesting what the Bible says. That word Goliath actually means splendor. But I looked a bit deeper and to look at the root word of what the word Goliath means. It's actually not splendor. Here's what it actually means in the primitive root. It means to denude, to make naked, especially in a disgraceful sense. By implication, it means to exile. What happens is when an enemy comes in and defeats an army, those people who survive become prisoners, exiles. They take them out of their land. They strip them of their clothing and of their sandals. And they walk naked in chains from their country back to the foreign country. And they're seen in front of the, when they return, these armies, they receive glory, splendor because of the nakedness of their enemies. Everything was exposed. 
That's what Goliath is. He wants to expose your weakness. He wants to show you, you can't do that. You, you are a sinner. You have done all these wicked things in your life. But David understood how to battle. You don't battle in that same way. He says to, listen to these words, close your eyes. He says to the Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Not a single man in Israel owns a weapon, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Not my slingshot, but the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, Goliath, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword, it is not by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into all our hands. He kills Goliath. And every man in Israel in a culture of fear began to change when they saw that moment. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 51, the continuation. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, Philistine country, and to the gates of Ekron. And there their dead were strewn along the road everywhere. I want you to know that your hero has gone before you. His name is Jesus. He is the defeater of your Goliath. And if you begin to understand this and embrace it today, every obstacle that's coming against you, every hardship right now is destroyed in the name of Jesus. Some of you have to speak to a giant and speak to it. I, don't, I come against you in the name of the living God of whom you have defied. You've heard good news today. You are not alone. And that sin that the devil tries to point and say, you're a sinner, you can actually say yes, but by the blood of Jesus, I'm no longer a sinner. Thank you for joining Life City Church. And we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.